his word open before us and our minds and our hearts prepared to receive his word, his truth to us so that we align our lives with his will so we can live for his glory. I am delighted um, to be here this morning to welcome every single one of you. If it's your first time, a special welcome. If you've been here for the last 30 years, then welcome to you as well. Um, I am, as always, in desperate need uh, for God's help. And uh, so with that, why don't we pray together and ask that uh, we would receive all of the help, all of the guidance that is necessary for this time together for the next few moments um, to be profitable for His glory. Let's pray. Father, as we are gathered together on a day that you have set apart from all others, um, in a place, Lord, that um, you are in the midst of with your people, your word is now open before us. And Lord, the promise is that your word never returns void. It, it, it never is completely empty. That for every one of us, there's something here that you have for us. Lord, we acknowledge who you are in all of your sovereign authority. Uh, we recognize that we are undeserving, even of, even of these few moments, even of this day. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and, and most of all, we thank you for the gift of salvation, of redemption that is offered through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how... We love you. Thank you for loving us. Father, Lord, now I would ask that you would uh, prepare our hearts to hear. Allow us, Lord, to understand what it means to be filled with your spirit and exercise the gift that you have given for your glory. Father, I do pray for the team as we head out tomorrow to Guatemala. I pray, Lord, for others from our body at this very moment that are on mission in Alaska as well. Protect them and use them in a mighty way. I pray, Lord, for the community that you've called us to be a part in, that you would um, grant us with faithfulness, strong faithfulness, as we accomplish the work of um, making disciples, of speaking truth, of loving others. Uh, Father, we just commit ourselves now into your care, into your hands. Guide us. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Very, very quickly, by way of review, in this book, Romans written different than other books, uh, not written to address heresy like Colossians, not written to call out ungodly living like the Corinthians. Uh, this is a church that's doing a lot of things right. Um, the problem is, is that we can get very comfortable. We can be like this church in Rome. So what I've done is really committed through the Word of God um, to, to teach you how to be all in, how in a sense um, to give your life as a blank check to God, how to be 100% sold out so that every single day you realize every breath that you take is for His glory. It's not yours. It's not about you. It's all about Him. Uh, we've been learning how, what, Paul writes, he says, I, I appeal to you, or I beseech you, I beg you, 
by the mercies of God. And that's the whole foundation, that we are undeserving of God's grace and mercy. We are actually deserving of separation from God, of, of damnation for all of eternity. But God in His grace has seen us and has offered to us an amazing gift of His own Son to die, that if we put our faith and our trust in His work, not our own, we can be in right relationship. Now, Paul, in a sense, uses that as a motivating factor, what, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. Every day you live with him in mind. And as we do that, it's challenging because we have to, what, he continues on, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And we talk about the fact that every single one of us have been gifted with a, a, a spiritual gift, now, today as we go through this, and there's a lot of ground to cover. You're going to need your pen on this one, okay? There's a lot of ground to cover. I want you to really listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about as far as what specific gift or gifts do you have or do you possess so that you understand what your role is as part of the body of Christ. Now, our text is, is verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. We already looked last week at Romans 3, 4, and 5. Today, we'll specifically deal with what the gifts are listed in verses 6, 7, 8. Let me read the whole thing in context uh, for us this morning. Romans chapter 12, we pick it up in verse 3. For, <clears throat> excuse me, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Here it is today, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, as we launch into this, and I use this word gift, please understand that Paul is not referring to gifts in the natural realm, okay? This is not the gift or the ability to sing or dance or play a sport or an instrument. This is a gift that is given in a spiritual realm. Every single believer, if you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, you've surrendered to Him as Lord, you know He is your Savior, then understand you have been given one of these gifts with a sole purpose, and that is to give glory to God. And we're to do this, this is interesting, not on an island, not alone, not in isolation. We are to use our gift alongside of one another. Now, as we look into this, we begin having gifts that differ automatically, Differ, which means different. We look around at a group this size. Every single one of us are completely different, and yet we have a single function. That is to give glory to God through the means of the body of Christ or the local church. Now, Paul emphasizes this idea of unity. Not only in Romans chapter 12, which we saw last week, the repeated use of the word one, 
But he does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the different parts of the body functioning. He also does in Ephesians chapter 4, very intentional. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 very quickly before I go any further. Paul says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. I love this phrase, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we know first and foremost the gift of God's grace is the gospel. When accepted, God then in his spirit imparts to us another gift that is to be used for his glory. We're like, okay, we got that part. That's the third time you've said it already. Let me make it very clear. The challenge to you and I this morning is not going to be in recognizing your gift. The challenge this morning is not going to be in, in, in learning how to exercise your gift. That's not the challenge. The challenge for you and I this morning is that we've got to learn how to do it alongside of one another. That's the hard part. Do, do you know what a backseat driver is? Okay? It's the guy who's driving the car from the back seat. But the problem is this. There's no steering wheel back there. There's no brake pedal. There's no gas. So what he must do is he must communicate through his big mouth what you, the driver, should be doing. Perhaps you want to start slowing down now. Uh, perhaps you want to begin to make a left-hand turn. And, and what is our response? My response is, hey, hey, buddy, the blinker's on, okay? And, 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 and perhaps, you want to, perhaps you want to slow down for this stoplight. At that moment, you're thinking, actually, I just want to run right through the stoplight. That's, that's us in our flesh. And, and what happens is that I literally, I can't stand, I can't stand when someone's doing that when I'm driving. Interestingly, just last week, I was in someone else's car and he was driving. And I said, you know, you want to get ready for left-hand turn up here. And the guy just, and he just looked at me. He just looked at me and I realized my job was not to be driving the car at that moment. Do, do you realize this is, this is the sensitive, touchy subject here? Every single one of us has a job to do. Every one of us. As followers of Lord Jesus Christ, you have a task, a function, a purpose. God in His grace, in His gracious Mercy that is lavishly poured out on us has given to every single one of us an ability, a gift to accomplish the job that has been given, the task that has been given. The problem is, is that we want to do the job of the guy that's sitting next to us. And if we want to do the job of the guy sitting next to us, guess what? The gift that we have been given is being what? Buried. It's being squandered. It's being wasted. Today we learned the importance of what? Staying in your 
Link, accept the fact that God has given you at least one gift and use that for his glory and for his glory alone. We go through this list here on first and foremost, well, what are, what are the gifts? Then when we get through that, we, we in a sense, oh, this is how they're to be used, where they're to be used, when that they are to be used. So let's look at this list. What are the gifts? There are seven of them listed. And it begins what with, with number one, if prophecy... It says in proportion to our faith, automatically we kind of race to the amount of our faith. And that's not an accurate um, English interpretation of that word. Actually, the NIV uh, actually gets this one right. If prophecy in accordance to our faith, if we have this gift of prophecy, we exercise it in accordance to our faith. So we start off with a really, really easy gift, right? The gift of prophecy. This is easy. This is no problem, right? Wrong. Actually, this is challenging. And this is a challenging gift today because a lot of people hear this term, the gift of prophecy, and it refers to the supernatural ability to make predictions about the future. When people hear this gift, I have the gift of prophecy, we automatically race to foretelling. It's a gift that that tells the future, like the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and and Daniel. Please understand, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not what this text is speaking about here. A couple problems. The first problem is that in the Old Testament, in order for someone to receive the gift of prophecy, they had to be a prophet. The office does not exist today. If you hear someone say, yes, I'm a prophet, automatically red flags go up because the the, the office doesn't exist. Hebrews says what? Jesus fulfills prophet, priest, and king. So there's, there's no one who is a prophet today. Another reason, a second problem, is that a lot of us think that the Old Testament prophet's primary job was predicting the future or or foretelling, and it wasn't. That wasn't the primary job. The Old Testament primary function was to actually simply interpret the Word of God and communicate the Word of God clearly to other people. It's what we call forth-telling, not foretelling, not, not, not uh, predicting the future, but forth-telling. Today, in terms of, of New Testament age, when we hear of this one who has a gift of prophecy, and yes, it does exist today, certainly, It is defined very simply as this. I'll give you a working definition of each one. I think you already got it. The spirit-given ability to interpret and exposit the word of God. In today's kind of language, contemporary terms, this person that has the gift of prophecy is oftentimes simply a preacher of the word of God. Think about the primary task for a preacher. What is the primary job? It is what? To interpret accurately this work and to expound effectively the Word of God. And when one does this and does this well, it is quickly seen, noticed, and affirmed by others. As opposed to, yeah, I have this gift. I do. I honestly have this. Honestly, I do. No, 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 that's not really how it's proven. In 16th century, Switzerland, pastors in Zurich would, would come together and they used the term, they would come together for prophesying. Well, what does that mean? It was simply a time where they were sharing 
exegetical, expositional, and practical insights gathered from Scripture to sharpen one another. John Calvin says this, and I quote, Prophecy at this day in the Christian church is hardly anything more than right understanding of the Scriptures and the peculiar faculty of explaining it inasmuch as all the ancient prophecies and oracles of God have been completed in Christ and in His gospel. Therefore, one who has the gift of prophecy is simply one gifted to explain, to expound, to exegete the truth of Scripture. What a marvelous way, even for us as local pastors, to get together at times and just, what, sharpen one another with our understanding of what we're teaching about the truth of the Word of God. Now, now, automatically, and tell you the truth, I'm just a step ahead of you this morning is that we run headlong into a point of tension when it comes to this gift of prophecy. Who has this gift? If it is primarily used as one who is preaching, which is the office of the pastor or elder or shepherd, and it's used in masculine form in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, here's the question you're wondering. Can a woman have the gift of prophecy. Can a woman have the gift of prophecy? I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. And the answer to that question, can a woman have the gift of prophecy? Here's the answer. Absolutely. Without a shadow of doubt, yes, a woman can have. The uniqueness of a woman with this gift is that she can and she exercises that apart from the office of pastor or elder. I spoke with a woman just this week in our own body asking the very question out of interest. So, so, so can a woman exercise the gift of prophecy if she has that in the context of the local church? Here's the response and I directly quote, there are many, many opportunities for this gift to be used by women in the local church. Teaching other women, leading children and youth, all in need of accurate teaching of the Word of God. There is much need today for a man and a woman they can offer through the exercising of this gift. The late Elizabeth Elliot, a great hero, heroine of the faith, had the gift of prophecy and Graham Lotz. Um, the gals are involved, the ladies are involved in a study from First Peter. Jen Wilkin has the gift of prophecy. Dear little Joy Trumbull, if you spent any time with her, has the gift of prophecy. It is to be exercised for God's glory through the context of the local church. Number two is the gift of ministry. It says, let us use it in our ministry. And I love the very simple definition. Ministry is the spirit-given ability to identify unmet needs, making use of available resources to meet those needs. And I like that definition. Very important within the context of the local church. The word ministry is the word diakona, where we get our word deacon from, which is very interesting. What is the job of the deacon? If we were to use the example that is given to us, thankfully, from the early church, as the church grew, as any church that's preaching the gospel grows, it says that the apostles needed help. And it says that they chose seven men to serve. It says this in Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Whoa, 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 whoa. A local church and someone complains? No. Actually, actually, you know what? This is a valid complaint. Do you realize that if there's a valid complaint, you you better speak up. It says literally what? Their widows were being neglected. That is what? That's something that ought to be spoken up. We can't be neglecting people within our own body. It says what in Acts chapter 6? And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. It says, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed. They laid hands on them. Listen to this last phrase. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied. Praise God for what? Names of people that we've never even heard of before. Praise God for a Prochorus and a Nicanor and a Timon and Permanus. Praise God for a woman by the name of Phoebe. It says in Romans chapter 16, Paul's writing, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. There's that same word again. Of the church in century that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. How how important is it to have men and women to simply, what, serve behind the scenes? It it talks about what, they're, they're waiting on tables. They're literally offering what to those people that are in need, anything. What is it? Perhaps behind the scenes that others don't know. I I remember it was back in, I want to say March of 2011. It was Wendy and I's second trip here um, before I became the pastor of of Big Woods. And I was in the candidating process. And I remember meeting uh, Dr. Gaunt. And when I met Dr. Gaunt, Literally, his back was to me. He was in the men's room plunging the toilet that had clogged up and was overflowing. And I'm like, this is like, this is a dentist in our area and he's doing this. Praise God for one who just saw a need and serves and continually does that. Do you realize five plus years later, whenever I am faced with a situation of physical need, I can't get to the elders, we can't get to it, I will email or call a Jay or a Denny and I get a response back almost always within an hour, within one hour, I get a response back, three words, consider it done. Do, do, you, do you know the joy, the joy, that, that, that is for me as a pastor to, to, to know that there's men and women out there. We have ones within our own body. When a baby is born, when a family moves into a new house, when somebody goes to surgery or, or sickness, 
Julie Borges and her whole maid of Mary cookers or bakers just swing into action. And they literally are delivering meals all over. Literally, a knock on the door. Here, here, you need this. We want to give this to you. That's, that's what it looks like to have this amazing gift of serving others. Number three is the gift of teaching. The one who teaches in his teaching. Well, that sounds a little redundant. The word in Greek is didasko. It, it denotes the activity of teaching, but it's especially used for moral instruction. Remember, the purpose of all of these gifts is not what? To do anything to bring attention to yourself, but to bring glory to God. The way that God is glorified is through the means of the local church. And a teacher is one who builds up. Practically speaking, it is one. Here's the definition, our working definition today. You can write it down. The spirit-given ability to communicate information that is relevant to the health and the ministry of the local church. Which means this is not only remaining precise and accurate in in the content of the subject. It's not just giving care and attention to the order of the material, but it's offering it to someone in such a way that the listener becomes a learner so so that students move to a place of understanding. It's not just somebody who can stand up and like just blow hot air. It's not what we're talking about. It's someone who's gifted with the ability to communicate information in a way that those who receive it benefit from it. Knowledge and ultimately wisdom is gained. Note the biggest difference between the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching. The gift of prophecy is the ability to proclaim. The gift of, of teaching is the ability to, to offer systematic and regular instruction in the Word of God. This is everyone from a, a, a seminary professor to a Sunday school teacher. And what is so important and so, so neat about this one, and we've been reminded in our, in our discipleship class from Pastor Aaron, our Great Commission says, go make disciples, and the word is didasco, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded. This is a vital role and function. Those who have this gift for the extending of the Great Commission, being obedient to the mission and the mandate that we have been given. How, how, how important are the, 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 the Cheyenne Redcase who have the gift of teaching, the Drew Talbots and the Marion Cons? of our body. They don't just stand up in front and communicate information, but it's received in a way that people benefit from it. We move on to number four, the gift of exhortation, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The term here is purposely broad. The verb form, which is the action, the doing, exhort, parakaleo, or the noun form, this is what it is, Exhortation, paraklesis, literally means, and I love this one, I love this. The gift of exhortation literally means calling someone to one side. Here it is. I want you to come and I want you to be here next to me. The gift of exhortation, our working definition, is the spirit-given ability to offer words of comfort 
consolation, counsel, and help to people in a way that they actually feel helped, which is a big difference. We can offer a lot, but if it's done in a way that they don't receive it, then, then, then we're not accomplishing, we're not using this particular gift. Gift of exhortation is the gift of strengthening those who need strength. The gift of exhortation is the need of encouraging those who need encouragement. This is, this is my man, Barnabas, all the way through, all the way through. If you recall Acts chapter 9, no one, remember Paul, before he was Paul, he was, was Saul. No one would give Saul a chance. He met Jesus face to face, miraculous way. And, and what happened is that Saul becomes Paul. It says when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. They did not believe him. Look at this next phrase in Acts chapter 9 and verse 27. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. That's, that's exhortation. I want you to come here and you stay with me and I'll go with you. A couple chapters later, Acts chapter 15. At this time, Paul and Barnabas are ministering together. And, and, and guess what? It says in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. No, local church and there's a disagreement between two people? Better believe it. Matter of fact, here it is. Paul doesn't want to take John Mark with him, a young believer. Barnabas wants to. Paul says, in a sense, you know what, whiny boy, you go home to mama if that's what you want. And Barnabas is like, I I don't think that's the right response. Look at what it says. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. But Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Barnabas, I want you to come here. What's interesting is later on in Scripture, we see the Apostle Paul commending John Mark for his faithfulness. Why is that? Because there was a Barnabas in his life. I heard it described like this. MacArthur says, As prophecy proclaims truth, and teaching systemizes and explains truth, exhortation calls believers to obey and follow the truth. What an amazing gift that is needed within the body of Big Woods Bible Church if we're going to accomplish the vision that God has given to us in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. Number five, here it is, the gift of giving. It says, one who contributes with generosity. Our working definition is the spirit-given ability to offer material resources to people in need with liberality and cheerfulness. Let me say, this is amazing and a delight to witness within the context of the local church. Now, this is the complete opposite of one who gives. Remember the Pharisees? It says that they would stand on a corner and they would sound a trumpet. Think about that. Before they gave, okay, they would blow a trumpet so that all the attention was focused on them and then they'd walk in and they'd give their... This is the opposite of those kind of of hypocrites. Now, what's interesting is that when we hear someone who has the gift of giving, we automatically think that, well, this must be a person of great means. 
This must be a person who has a lot. And that's not necessarily it. Uh, this is one who, who understands the importance of giving generously, even if perhaps you don't have a lot. If you look at the example in Mark chapter 12, and she's literally referred to as the poor widow. Jesus what is, 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 is using her as an example. The poor widow who put in two small copper coins which make a penny. She didn't have very much. She didn't have great means. But she gave it in a way that what? That's that lady right there. That's the way that we do it. Now, there's another church in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a group of churches in Macedonia. It says that they gave with great liberality, believing that sowing bountifully meant reaping bountifully. But what an absolute delight to see individuals step out in faith, knowing that God has what? God has blessed me in some way. It might not even be a lot, but I want to give this in order to be a blessing. And what has happened oftentimes is that it returns and it returns and it returns many times over. My, my wife's um, uncle Dallas had the gift of giving in a quiet way. And when he literally began his business and he became a very successful businessman, before he began his business, his goal, was to literally live on what's called a reverse tithe. Which means that his goal in his entire business is I want to earn and I'm going to live on 10% of my income and I want to give 90% of it away. Strangely, the Lord took Uncle Dallas home very, very early. But right before, right before he passed away, I had lunch with him. And he whispered to me. We would talk and we would lunch once in a while. And he said, hey, Tim. He goes, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm I'm almost at a place of giving away 90%. Almost. And then God took him. He he wasn't, in a sense, uh, allowed to finish or accomplish. But yet, I I can name, literally, churches that have been built, ministries that have been supported, missionaries on the field as a result of his faithful giving. What, what, what an absolute joy. And to know that this church is blessed, just as we are blessed with men and women who have the gift of prophecy and teaching and exhortation, we have a church that is blessed with people using this gift. Number six is the gift of leading. It says one who leads with zeal or with diligence is another rendering or translation. Our working definition for the, the gift of leading is the spirit-given ability to clearly see immediate and long-range goals and execute effective plans that meet them. The Greek word is prostamai. It means standing before. Now, automatically, when we think of, of one who leads, forgive me, but I can't think of just the garbage we have seen recently on our television, of those who want to be in a position of leadership. Do you realize that that there is not one reference in the New Testament that connects this word leading that's used here to any kind of a government ruler or official in any way, never under any circumstance. This word lead, leader, is always used in the context in 1 Timothy 3 of a man who leads his home and his family, 
And then in 1 Timothy 5, it's used in the context of leading in the local church. And, and, and yet that's, that's what it means here. Uh, there's another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul basically uses the exact same um, gift with a different word. Instead of leading, he calls it the gift of administration, which translates to guide. In Revelation 18, that same word is used, and it means to guide or steer a ship. Now, pastors and elders obviously at some levels are given this gift, but but certainly, certainly a church is not limited. You ever watch Yvonne Buttville lead a Sunday school class or a VBS class? Believe me, she can execute a plan in a way that others will follow it. It's interesting as well that it says just not with this this zeal, diligence, earnestness, uh, there's an understanding of haste. And you know what I'm talking about here. A leader, a good leader, who is given this gift can make a decision in a snap moment. They can do it quickly if they need to. My, my dad was that type of a leader. He could think very quickly on his feet. In a moment of flurry or confusion, let's do this right now. We do this right now. It didn't necessarily work 100% of the time, but a majority of the time he was pretty right. That, that's the idea of what it means that you're leading in a way that you can what see where we need to go and execute the plan. That's the that's the Josh Hamiltons in our church. That's the Thane Turners in our church. We need them to exercise the gift if we're going to accomplish the task and the mission, the vision that God has called us at Big Woods. Number seven and finally is the gift of mercy. You're to to do acts of mercy. With cheerfulness. This is a long one, the spirit given ability to feel genuine empathy and compassion for people who suffer. And translate that compassion into cheerful deeds that reflect Christ's love and alleviate suffering. Now, I, I cannot emphasize. How important you cannot walk down or drive down Main Street in our little community without seeing people who are in great need. And one who has been given and gifted through the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the gift of mercy, in a sense it talks about empathy. It's not just I feel bad for them. No, I don't just feel bad for them. I ache, I feel the pain. I ache and hurt with them. That's what empathy is. That's what compassion is. We translate that into acts. Proverbs says it like this, He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Happy is he who is gracious to the poor in the community that we have been called to live in, in the day and the time that we've been called to live in. There are many who we need to learn to be gracious to. Now, I know that's a quick kind of running down of each one. Every single one of us, if you remember, it says what? Having gifts that differ, we're all different. We're all different, but we're to exercise them according to the grace that is given and let us use them. We emphasize again in closing, this is hard because we have a tendency to want to do what the other guy is doing. 
Now, um, what, I, what I remind people is what? Stay in your lane. People make fun of me all the time because I, I love the silly game of baseball. And I, and, and I was thinking about it. There's this idea that pitchers always want to hit and hitters always want to pitch. For some reason, never, they never really want to do the one job that they're called to do. They, they want to do the other one. And I was thinking about it. No, that's, that's not the way that we are to be. If God has given to you the ability to throw nasty stuff, then what? Then stay on the mound and do your job. Just stay on the mound and do your job. It, it's In a way, it's a very simple reminder that takes the focus off of others, what they are doing, what they're not doing, how I could do it better, and it puts all of the focus on the Lord. Now, please understand as well, if you have been given the gift of exhortation or the gift of leadership, that does not mean that you don't ever show mercy. Or it doesn't mean that you don't ever give. It's not. In all honesty, we are to strive through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish every single one of these. It'll be very, very evident, very, very easy to tell which one the Holy Spirit has gifted you in, that it, what, it flows in a smooth, amazing beautiful functioning of one body working together where Christ is the head and God gets the glory. Father, we thank you and we love you for the demonstration that you have given to us of um, the body of Christ working through the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Help us, Lord, to know and understand our role. Help us, Lord, to, to be content with that and to be encouraging and uplifting to everyone as we exercise our gift for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. stay together and finish our time with a song of praise to our God. Sin and its ways roll All of my heart turns to stone.